Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Jen Duplessis. She is a leadership advisor and mentor, a multi number one bestselling author, a podcast host of not one, but two podcasts, the producer of her own TV show. Welcome, Jen. I am so happy and honored to have you here today. How are you doing? I am great. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for this interview because you've been on my show and I wanted to be on your show. So I wanted to just have a further conversation, although we've talked to I don't know how many hours already. (laughs) Yes, quite a bit. (laughs) But I'm very excited and honored to have you here. And it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I appreciate you. Thank you. So with that being said, let's jump right in Jen, with all the hats you wear, and I didn't even mention the fact that you were recently knighted Lady Jen Duplessis, so congratulations on that. That is huge. Now, that's a hell of a resume and a hell of a lot of hats you're wearing. How do you find the time for all of this, and how important is prioritization and organization to you, and how do you stay on top of things? I'm asked that all the time because I have several businesses as well as just doing speaking and coaching and masterminds. But I think this is a learned trait. There's a book by, it's my favorite book, by the way, by Darren Hardy called The Compound Effect. And I read that years ago and I've always been very systematic in my approach to everything, very Spockish, logistical, that type of personality trait. And for me, it was how could I get it all done? And that was one of the things in my practice and one of my businesses that I had to learn was there's got to be a better way to do this than to be working a hundred hours a week. And so I learned how to do it. And I, again, it's a learned trait and one that a lot of people don't put effort into, right? And so they allow for the distractions and I call it eating soup with a fork (laughs) because you're just eating soup all day long and getting nowhere with it, right? And I felt like I did it too. And it's the difference between working hard and doing the hard work. There is a difference there. And so I just dig in with prioritization and it all starts with core values, core values and what fulfills me. And that's really where it starts. And we can dig a little bit deeper into that, but that's where it really starts for me is eliminating the distractions. And it's a learned trait. It's something you have to work on. It's sort of like this. I'll say this first. If you brush your teeth with your right hand and I ask you to brush with your left or vice versa, 
It's going to be very awkward in the beginning, but eventually it's going to be really easy and it becomes second nature. That's what we have to do with all of our tasks. Yeah, you just, you get used to it. It's tough at first, but like anything, if you put in the work and practice something, you're going to get better at it. Yeah, exactly. And that's really what it is. When someone asks me, how do you get all this done? It's because I have developed that muscle to be able to only do what's really important to be done and everything else just gets pushed away. Yeah, the unimportant stuff or the lower priority stuff. Jen, I would Mm -hmm. love to know with you wearing so many hats and of course, knowing the importance of routine and regiments, what does your morning routine look like? Yeah. So for the first, my favorite number, which has always been 22 and it's all about angels and stuff like that too. But yeah, for the first 22 minutes of the day, I don't let my phone touch my, my body because I feel like that we solve so many problems at night. We, we have intention in the evening. So I'll start with the evening is write down everything you need to get done tomorrow. Make sure you don't leave your desk until you have everything done and make sure you don't go to bed until you have everything done. And subconsciously, your mind's going to sift through those things and you'll find out in the morning, you don't need to do half of them. And those that you do need to do, you have intention. It's everything and you're able to solve problems. So it starts at night. And so when you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is lean over and touch that phone. It robs you of all that energy because of the technology. And so all that stuff starts floating away. So I give myself those 22 minutes. So I don't get out of bed until I'm done praying. That's number one for me. I don't get out of bed until I'm done praying, until I'm thinking about some of the things that I had done yesterday that I wanted to accomplish today. And now, oh, I have the answer. I know what I'm going to do. And then I get up out of bed. And what's funny, and I'm sure everyone's heard this before, is I literally make my half of the bed before my husband might be sleeping in it. He might not be in it and got up earlier. I make my half of the bed immediately. (laughs) And it's just a feeling of accomplish. Okay. I have one thing done. So that becomes part of that routine in the morning. And then I read a lot. So I do a lot of reading to just get myself, you know, started for the day. One of the things I always find is funny and, and it isn't funny, but is opening up my Bible and reading a passage and saying, how did you know? That's what I needed today. How do you know that? And it just, it, it helps my day. So yeah, that's my morning routine. My evening routine is I, you know, started off with it. That's, those are my routines. I'm not a workout in the morning. I'm not a workout in the afternoon. I'm a workout during the day to get myself out of this chair. <laughs> get you up and moving. I love it. Jen, what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do? Yeah, my why is my family. So That's what keeps me going every single day is making sure that I'm leaving a dynasty for my family. Legacy is one thing. Legacy to me is financial. Dynasty is leaving the world a better place, making an impact. And I love both, but my priority is dynasty. You know, making sure that my family is taken care of financially, but also that they remember me and for centuries, not centuries, but uh, generations, that, that it's about what I did and how I did it and not how much money I made or didn't make. And so that's what motivates me every day and drives me to continue to move forward so that I'm doing this for them now. I love that distinction between legacy and dynasty. I've never heard anyone explain that. I love it. Thank you very much for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Of course. How long have you been working in the entrepreneurial world now as a leadership advisor and mentor, Jen? 
Well, I've been a leadership advisor for over 30 some years. <laughs> it's what I did when I was in the, the lending business. So I just celebrated 40 years in mortgage lending, at least being associated. I transitioned, thank you. I transitioned or quasi retired from that industry, but I teach and coach and speak in that industry as well now, in addition to other things. But leadership has been a really important thing. I was fortunate enough many years ago to be able to go to a management training class with my company at the time. And ultimately the result was that I grabbed onto this, understood it, understood the importance of growing team for different reasons throughout my life. Now there's obviously even different reasons why I feel growing a, a world-class team is so important. But I was so fortunate that I grabbed it so well that I ended up being the instructor for that and traveled around the country speaking and teaching others how to be really good leaders and good managers. So I j it was just ingrained in me to be that. I don't know how because definitely where I came from would not have depicted that, <laughs> but that's why I do it. And that's why I've been doing it for a really long time. And now it's my main focus with everything I do with my coaching, my speaking, and my mentoring. Love it. And I love that you've chosen to use the terms advisor and mentor to describe the services you provide and the work you do as opposed to using the word coach. Mm -hmm. Was there any particular yeah. reason for that? And was it intentional to not use the word coach? And if so, what was the oh, reasoning yeah. behind that? Yeah. And again, it's a management skill. And unless you're in the management world or have been formally trained in management, it's a little difficult to explain some of it. But a coach is someone generally who has who knows the game but has not played. And they right. can pull out of you or dictate to you should be the word. I mean, it's a highly directive <laughs> motive of coaching. It's highly directive. It's go run the 50 yards, go do this, go do that, make 10 calls, whatever it is. It's highly directive. And typically a coach is someone who knows the game very well, but hasn't actually played. A mentor is highly supportive and a mentor has walked your walk. That even if it's one inch ahead of you, the mentor has been there and the mentor knows, hey, watch out. There's going to be slippery rock here. Or watch out. This one's going to be tough or you're going to have to jump at this next stage. And so for me, I prefer the mentor and the people that I do coach a mentor are high six-figure people who want to go to seven figures. And they're in a different place than the coaching people where I don't have to say, now pick up the phone. It's okay. You can do this. I let other coaches do that. I help them make leaps and bounds beyond once they've had the ability to do that. So it's really the difference between being directive and being supportive and really having a partnership because yeah. I've been there. I love that. I was speaking with a woman recently and she gave me the analogy. It was a similar question. And she gave me the analogy where, because she played soccer when she was a kid. She said, so a coach is someone who stands on the mm -hmm. sidelines and tells you what to do. A mentor or a guide is right there on yes. the field with you playing. And I thought that is a brilliant analogy. I love that. Yeah. And you gave a very similar one. So I love that. Yeah, thank you. And I've even done one like this. This yeah. will be good for you to ingrain this and just see this is a coach will stand on the boat while you're in shark infested water and try to guide you to shore, whereas a mentor will get in there and guide you to shore. <laughs> I yeah. love that. Thank you. <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> Jen, what do you consider to be a couple of the essential traits of a successful leader? I have to think through this just a little bit. I know you sent me some questions in advance, but I try not to formulate them because I wanted to be on the cuff yeah. of, of no, what that's I'm okay. trying to do. Yeah. But yeah, I think one of the first things is it's not about them. It's about their people. And I, I remember a grid that I had a long time ago about being a 
country club leader versus being a brutal leader. There's a, the opposing opposites and it's called the nine one and one nine system. And you always want to be five five. That's where you want to be is where you can kind of flux with everybody, be a five five. The nine one cares about people and not about the business and the one nine cares nothing about people and only about the business. So if you can be that nice combination of understanding people and understanding business and knowing when you have to squash, for lack of a better word, that's a horrible word, but when you need to be forceful and when you need to pull back. And I think that characteristic, that awareness comes with emotional intelligence as well. That's the typical leader has high emotional intelligence. They're not worried about themselves all the time. They're just concerned about their people and their production in a nice balanced way. And I think that makes one of the best leaders around because you know what you're getting. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Thank you. What would you say is your greatest strength as a leadership mentor and advisor or one of your greatest strengths? Well, definitely knowing that, but I keep my team close to me, very close to me. So they're part of helping me make decisions. I like their feedback. And I think that creates a world-class team. It's the difference between enabling your team and telling them what to do versus empowering your team so that they can make decisions on their own. So if they're with me during some of my decision-making process, they can learn more about me and we can make good quality decisions where I don't have to be involved in them because they understand how I work and how I function. So I think that this adage of keeping this wall up between you and your team, I think is very difficult because no one understands what you're thinking. They don't understand your thought patterns. They don't understand what you would do. And I think that keeping that as transparent as possible is one of the, the greatest strengths that I have because they know what I would say. Well, it lets them know where they stand and also that they can come to you if they've got questions or if they need support with something, you keep that wall down or that door open, however you want to phrase that but they at least know that yeah. they can come to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, again, that I don't like the vulnerability because it's not, people don't like hearing that in leadership, like, oh, I'm being vulnerable, but I choose to be vulnerable. I choose to let them know that I'm thinking through this and I'm struggling a little bit. What is their perspective? Not what their opinion is, but their perspective of that decision so that collectively we can make that decision together. And it doesn't include everyone. I mean, again, this is how big this is. It doesn't include everyone. There are different stages of development with different team members that now let them in and have a seat at that table. That doesn't always happen when they're first brand new. Yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. So Jen, for leaders who are struggling to motivate their teams, what strategies do you recommend to help inspire and engage employees across all levels of the organization? Without knowing any one person's specific situation, because I guide people very specifically here. So this is a very broad question. It's going to be the difference between it, it's the step. I have this phrase that I use that, that I say is stop working in and on your business. Cause most people say stop working in your business, start working on your business. I actually don't like either stop working in and on your business and start working above and beyond your business. It's that very magic step there, that space in between the on and the above that they're experiencing. And this is where they're having the challenges because they're not letting go that chip on their shoulder that they have to be there for everything. And that space is also the difference between enabling your team and empowering your team. And so the biggest challenge that I find ge a general, the general assessment here is 
give it to me, give it to me. I can just do it faster. And that is the worst thing that you can do because they're never going to learn how to do it if you just take it over. And a lot of times we do it out of the ego. Sometimes we do it out of time or scarcity. And what we need to do is push back on our team and say, what have you done? What do you think? Right. There's a couple of different questions to ask, but what have you researched? What have you done? What have you found out? And what do you think? Because they may have the right answer. And that's to me leadership. And that is a magic little turning point or tipping point for most people. I love that. Thank you so much. I love that you shared that because we do. We so often hear people say you're working on or in your business. And I love that you steer away from that and your analogy and how you deal with it. It's beautiful. I love that. I've never heard that before. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in the trademark version of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> there you so, go. Definitely a good yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. We keep hearing the word authenticity bantered around and thrown around. And especially now when it comes to speaking about leadership, mm -hmm. people want authenticity in their leaders. How do you encourage leaders to cultivate their authenticity and lead from a place of integrity while still adapting their leadership style to meet the needs of the different situations that they encounter? Yeah. I mean, again, that's a pretty loaded question, but that authenticity or being real, it's so what it's called is what I call it is situational leadership. I, I hear from people all the time. I treat everyone the same. And that is disaster. That's disaster because not everyone is at the same development stage. Not everyone has the same commitment levels. And so as a leader, you have to become a chameleon to be able to maneuver and work with other people. And that's where the authenticity comes by is that again, going back to the nine one or the one nine, you're not working with a more seasoned person and telling them what to do because that's not authentic. They know what to do. They just want to hear that what they're doing is, is yep, I'm on the right track. Right. That's the empowerment piece. When you're in the enabling stage for someone where you have to enable them because you have to guide them and tell them that's your job. And so often when people get to that second stage, employees or team members get to that second stage, so often start putting blinders on and say, oh, they're negative. Oh, they're not getting it. They're, 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 they are horrible. They're not a good hire. They're terrible. They can't learn. They do all this finger pointing and we really need to be doing the thumb pointing back at ourselves and saying, I'm not taking the time to train them. I'm not asking them the questions because I'm afraid they're going to say no, they're going to leave. Well, they're going to leave anyway. So you need to pull them in a lot closer. So for me, authenticity is recognizing where someone is and meeting them where they are. That's authentic. So it's not about me. And I've said this a couple of times. This is not about me as a leader. It's about where are they and how can I meet them where they are so that I can elevate them to the next level. Love that. That is brilliant and so, so true. I mean, we have to meet people where they're at. And you're right. You can't create a boilerplate template for everyone because, as you said, everyone is at different stages. They need, everybody needs different areas of guidance and help. So you cannot create this blanket template for everyone. Right. Now, I'll tell you a quick story. I had a client who sure. came to me. Her name is Mimi. And I called her Mama Mimi because imagine walking into a building and then walking into a, an office, right? An office and then walking into her office, right? And it, she has this big office and she sits in the middle of the office at her desk with all of her team members sitting at desks around the sides of the office facing the wall. Got the wow. picture? This yep. is how she came to me and I said, what are you doing? And she said, because then they just lean back and they go, hey, Mimi, 
Hey, Mimi, I have a question. Hey, Mimi, I have a question. And I said, but the problem is you've got brand new people and you have seasoned people and you are cutting the wings of the seasoned people. And for the new people, they're coming in and going, wow, this is really good because Mimi's right here to answer all my questions. I don't have to do any work because she'll just say, give it to me, let me do it. So who's working for whom in that situation? And I said to her when we were talking, I remember distinctly, I was standing outside of my, I'm a, I live on 21 acres. So a lot of times when I'm coaching, I'm walking in my property, <laughs> I'm thinking. And I remember distinctly where I was standing and I said, today you move yourself out of that office. And today I want you to turn everybody around where they're facing each other. And she wanted to fire all of them. She's like, they're horrible. They're horrible. I want to fire them. I go, no, they aren't. And so when we fast forward. We ended up letting one person go. We maneuvered people around into different positions for their skill set. We ended up hiring another five people and she's just selling wonderfully. And she now is taking vacation, whereas before she never did because there's, you know, there are a bunch of nim nods. I have to be there for them. But she was creating that environment. Every she single was time she was creating that environment. She was enabling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. In order to foster growth and development within an organization, as we just mentioned, empowering and nurturing future leaders is crucial. How do you guide leaders in identifying and developing emerging talent and creating a leadership pipeline? Yeah, so that's part of all of my coaching that I do. <laughs> we assess every employee, every team member in a variety of different categories, whether it's internal relationships, external relationships, as far as vendors and clients and whatnot productivity, customer experience, technology, self-starting. So we assess everyone in there to determine where is this individual so that the person that I'm coaching can then say, well, okay, for this person, this is how we want to interact with them. This is that situational leadership where we want to interact with them. So we do that on a scale for every individual person. And then we look at where the weaknesses and the strengths are and the team as a whole. So if I go horizontally on this, I'm looking at all these different aspects of an individual saying, okay, this is where they land. And then vertically looking at, ooh, we're weak in customer experience or, ooh, we're weak in productivity or efficiency and finding out, ah, that's where I need to train because as a whole, my team is weak in this area. And then if there's one person who's strong in that area, we ask that one person to teach the others. And that's where we start developing their leadership skills and poof them up, make them feel yeah. good. Even if they're in a lower arena, they're not fully developed and maybe they're not really developed as a person. They've got this one great genius. We have them teach that one great genius to others. And that's where we're starting to develop those leadership skills for my clients, for their team members, so that they can start saying, okay, if that person can rise to the occasion over and over again, maybe not in this one area, maybe they could rise several different areas, then that is the person who can allow me to go above. They'll be my team lead. Love it. Jen, what is one tip or takeaway that listeners can implement immediately to start stepping into and embracing their inner leader and begin owning that? Thank you for asking that. I could go in a lot of different directions. I'm probably going to go in the most simple direction. I have a book called Launch. Right here it is back there. Launch, how to take your business to new heights. Yep. There are three categories in that finder, minder, and grinder. Get a piece of paper out, three columns, finding business, minding business, and grinding out the business and figure out 
where are you spending your time? Most people are going to find that they spend their time in minding and grinding. And this is why their business isn't growing because when they get business in, they stop marketing and they start doing all the busy work. So figure out where you are, where you're spending your time, how much time you're spending, and that's what you hire. So often I've heard people say, I need to hire a mini me. No, you don't. You don't need to hire a mini you. You need to hire, hire someone who can support you. That's what you need to do. So look at that and figure out what is it that I want? Who is it that I need to hire? And then hire to that position rather than hiring someone who's, I really like you. You're nice. Come on in and I'll figure out a spot for you. That doesn't work. So figure out the job you want to hire the quality there, build that world-class team so that you can go out and do what you do best, which is finding the business. Love it. Thank you for clarifying that and sharing that. I want to dive into a little bit about, let's get a little more personal with you. We've dealt with the business stuff. Jen, you're the host of not one, but two podcasts. So can you share with us a little bit about each of your podcasts, titles, what they're all about, and what inspired you to start two podcasts? <laughs> I wish I didn't have them both because it's a lot of work. So I did Mortgage Lending Mastery. That's the first podcast is called Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm in the top 1% in that in the world internationally. And I think that's just time. Been doing that podcast for nine and a half years. So I'm really one of the veterans. That started because when I elevated myself up into the top 200 loan officers out of a million loan officers in the United States, People started calling me and they wow. want to pick my brain. I actually have a URL that says pickjensbrain.net and people can <laughs> schedule a time to pick my brain, right? But it costs money to do it because it's right. time is money. But it's yeah. not a lot. It's just enough. But anyway, they wanted to pick my brain and, and I love serving people. So of course I was doing that. But then it got to the point where I need a better mechanism. And I said, well, I've heard of this thing called a podcast. And so that's where I started it started that podcast, started answering people's questions. Then when, gosh, when I started that, I was standing in my closet with my earphones recording audio because you didn't do video. You didn't have microphones, none of that stuff. And it was successful. So I'm not of the opinion that every little techie piece has to be perfect. It's about the message you're sending. So that's why I started that. And then later I started, after I left the mortgage business, started speaking everywhere. Les Brown had heard me speak. His son, Les Brown Jr., LBJ, got in touch with me and said, hey, I'd like to put you on the faculty, the speaking faculty, and have you speak for us here, there, and yonder. So we started doing that. And I would get on stage and say, I have a podcast. And we go, oh, and then I'd say Mortgage Lending Mastery. And they go, ooh, I'm not in that business. So anyway, so I did nope. that. And I said, okay, now I need to start another podcast. So I started a podcast called Success to Significant life after breaking through glass ceilings. And this is not for women. This is for everybody. This is the ceiling of business, the ceiling of losing weight, gaining weight, getting rid of a relationship, learning how to walk, learning how to talk, and just been totally successful in working in that one. And that's why I brought out that second one. And it was my transition that, that started that. I was really successful and now I want to be significant. And when someone asked me what I do when I was networking right after I had retired, I said, oh, I'm a more... I don't know what I do because I don't have that identity. And I thought it is, it's life after breaking through these glass ceilings. So now what do I do with myself? Right. So I yep. love having that podcast. So that's the reason why I have the two. Okay. Makes very much sense. Now I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had the honor of being a guest on your podcast. So it was a wonderful experience. You're such a gracious and incredible host. So again, I want to say thank you for that opportunity, Jen. Absolutely. 
Now, as mentioned, you're also a multi number one international bestselling author. I would love for you to speak or share a little bit about your journey as an author. And in your opinion, how important is it for us to share our stories? And what are a couple of the benefits of writing and sharing your story with the world? Yeah, wow, that's a loaded question. I'm not a writer (laughs) at all. I'm a storyteller, (laughs) but I'm not a writer. And for me, someone said, well, if you write a book, you're going to get more stages. Everyone's going to think I'll swear. I said, fine, I'll write a book. So launch ended up being us taking several of my podcasts, my first series of podcasts, the monologue and expanding on it and saying, okay, well, let's take these topics because these are the things that are from a technical perspective on business that I was talking about. And let's turn that into a book. So then we took the transcript and then we massaged it. And then I maneuvered it all around and sat on my floor one night until three in the morning and got all my chapters all figured out and wrote more. And then we got the book out, right? And I go, okay, so let it be written. Let it be done. So where's everybody at? Oh, come on. I've written a book. Come on, ask me to speak. And and it didn't happen right away. And I was like, oh, well, I guess it's a glorified business card. So that's one benefit. It is a glorified business card. Where I make most of the money through the books is inviting people that ask me to come and speak. Hey, would you like 100 books or would you like to get a book for everybody there? And so I give them a discount. And that's where I make most of the money through the books now. I thought it's done. I'm never going to write again. And then all of a sudden, oh, I have another idea. And then I have another idea. So now it becomes something that you think, well, that story needs to get out. And this one, because we progress over time, that person who wrote that book some, I don't know, seven years ago is not the same person. If I rewrote that book, I'd probably do something different, say something different. Technology's changed, right? So some of the advice, well, you've read books that they say, yeah. facts is over. <laughs> and people are going, yeah. what's a fax? <laughs> Put it on a CD. And people are going, what's that? So time changes. But yeah, so now I've written four. Well, two that I've written by myself and then two that are compilation books that I started. Impact, the second one that's here behind me is our second one. We're all number one. And then I've been in 16 compilation books as well, where we've all been number one as an author. So total 20 number one bestseller. Wow. And two of those are international. Yeah. And so benefit number one, it's a business card. Benefit number two, if you're going to be on stage and you can sell it there. And benefit number three, I love being in the compilation books because I meet new people who then can be on my podcast. I meet new people who then can be my promotion partners. I meet new people that can be speakers on my stages. So that's what I love about that. And that's why I say get involved. And if you're not, if you've been writing a book for 10 years, stop writing that book and get in a compilation book. It'll get you the bug to finish that book. Collaborative books are great because it it just, it creates that sense of community and family because that's really what happens is the writers connect with each other on that different level and you form those relationships that will go far beyond the, the reach of the book. Some of those relationships are lifelong relationships. Yes. And they're financially rewarding as well. They can be, right? Yeah. Some of them can be financially yeah. rewarding, and that's where you'll make your money as a writer. As mentioned, you are also a TV show host and producer. Can you tell us about the TV show that you host and produce, and how did this whole opportunity for you come about to be a TV show <laughs> yeah. host and producer? Yeah, so it was interesting. So James, Do- uh, I shouldn't say James, doctor. I mean, I've known him as James. I've <laughs> known him as doctor. Now I know, and I knew him as sir, and now I know him as his, I, I, he's not his royal highness, his His Excellency Baron Dr. James Dentley. 
that he just was elevated to a baron. So his That's excellency, baron, baron Dr. James Dentley. Yeah. But sir is the baron, baron Dentley. So, so he had approached me. He has a network called JD3 TV, which he's James Dentley, the third JD3 TV. And he approached me. I, matter of fact, I was one of the first people he approached and said, Hey, I'd like to have you on the show. We'd like to have you create a show. And his first thought was, let's just take your podcast and launch them up. Because as most people know, on streaming, there's a lot of podcasting and they call it a show where you're in one place and I'm another and they call it a show. I didn't want to regurgitate my podcast and because I'm in 158 different platforms with my podcast. So I didn't want to regurgitate it onto another. And I said, I actually like to do a show. So we have a studio, we go to the studio and just in talking and developing the book here that I have, Tell Me I Can't, that didn't have a name. Tell Me I Can't was I wanted to do a book for women. Only 3% of men read. So we knew that we needed to target women. I did not want to do a self-help book anymore. I wanted to do, not, instead of a nonfiction, I wanted to do a fiction, but I didn't know where I wanted to go with it. This book was written for the purpose of being presented to Hallmark and Lifetime as a movie. And we're in negotiations in that. We'll see if we, I'm the problem. <laughs> I don't know if I really want this <laughs> to be a check mark on my list of bucket things. Like, okay. Whoop-de-doo. I'm not really sure I want it to be, but as we were writing this book, I wanted to have a ghostwriter because I'd never written a story like this. So that's where it was coming from. But as we were talking, he's like, I know exactly what this book needs to be about is that you're always saying, don't tell me I can't. And I said, well, it's not really don't tell me I can't because to me, don't tell me I can't is don't you tell me I can't tell me I can't is bring it on, baby. Tell me I can't. <laughs> And so that's where we started finding people that had beautiful stories where they were told by an individual that they couldn't do something because they were too tall, too short, too purple, too pink, too fat, too whatever, not smart enough. It didn't matter. And so that's what we explore in that is people that have been told that they can and how they overcame that diversity because that was my story in my life because I right. was called Jenny without a penny and was told that I would amount to nothing. And that I wouldn't make it and I'd be poor and I'd be an alcoholic like my dad and a verbal abuser like my mom. And so if I was told that and I could overcome it, I wanted to explore other stories just like that. I love that. And there's so many of those out there. So many people deal with that. And we've all dealt with some kind of disparaging comments like that throughout our lives. It's just a matter of whether we stay stuck in that victimhood or we decide and choose to rise above it and show, you know what? You say I can't, watch me. Yeah, it's from victim to victor. And that's the stories that we do on that show. Love it. Now, let's speak about your latest development and the amazing news for you, Jen. You were recently knighted, Lady Jen Duplessis. I remember you shared this news with me right before I was a guest on your podcast, and we didn't have time to get into the particular. So I would love to hear the story about the incredible honor and experience for you, if you don't mind sharing. How did this all come to be? Yeah, well, thank you. And I, I was nominated anonymously, and then I found out who, and I was just really honored. And then, so I don't know how many, I think there were over 100 people who were nominated. They only chose six women, and I think eight or nine men. I'm not real sure yet. I, I, I can't remember, but eight or nine men. So I was on pins and needles. Was I going to be accepted? I was a little confused about the whole thing. But this is along the lines of Elton John, right? Where he became a sir. It's yeah. the same thing. We're all part. It's not the same order, but it's the Royal Order of Constantine the Great and St. Helen. It's the oldest royal, it's the oldest order 
of knighthood in the world. It was established in 360 AD after Constantine overthrew the Romans. And it's about charity and faith and hope and chivalry and honesty and helping others. Right. And so we have a charitable component to it that we help women and children who are homeless all over the world. So there's different categories, doctors, artists, entrepreneurs. I'm in on the entrepreneurial piece of it. And then once that's approved, then now we talk about your charitable work. And then that was accepted as well. And so for the men, they take sir. And for the women, we're damed. When we're knighted, we become a dame and we can go by dame or lady. And I chose lady. And that's really what it is. So again, the Royal Order of Constantine the Great and St. Helen and the Royal House of the Principality of Cappadocia, which is in Turkey. It's a long story. It's a Spanish prince. Yeah, he's who knighted me. He's a Spanish prince. And it has to do with World War II and everything. A lot of princes and kings had no kingdoms to rule, but they still have the authority or the the titles and they still do good work and there's still jewels and all that stuff. And so this has just been passed down and it's exciting to be part of it. It's an honor to be part of it. I'm humbled by it. I know it's going to be a lot of work ahead for me and I'm really excited about it too. What an incredible honor. Congratulations on that, Jen. You are so deserving of that. You're such a giving and beautiful soul. It's just, that is you. I think it's absolutely incredible. Thank you. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? The most important thing that I've learned is to keep money in flow. (laughs) That is the most important thing, right? (laughs) I think there's a lot of myths out there about saving for a rainy day or saving patience as a virtue, working nine to five to your 65. I think all that's there. It's keep money in flow. It's not about hoarding money. It's about giving money away. It's about keeping it in flow so that you have that passive income or what I call inbox income now. I used to call it mailbox income, but now I call it inbox income because that's what I've learned about it is that I want to have that passive income so that I can work above and beyond. Some people they're beyond is sitting at the beach. Some people it's charity. Some people it's spending time with family. Some it's doing another business. And I've done every one of them every one of them. So my beyond changes. In order to do that beyond, you have to save what you earn, but not just keeping it in a bank account, but putting it into action and into flow. And that's one of the things that I do with real estate. So that's what I would say for me, because it ultimately got me to my why. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Yeah. And I was just talking about that too. Success is so different for everyone. I think the biggest thing is don't let it be what the neighbor says success is. It's not about driving a car, wearing certain clothes. It's not about that kind of thing. For me, success is just the perseverance and the resilience that I have to manifest the I am in my life, right? There are points in my life where I am not where I want to be, but that's one of my mantras every morning when I'm praying is I am powerful. I am a temple of God. I am God's creation. I am resilient. I am persevering. I am a client attraction magnet. I am a good steward of my money. I put that I am out there every single day. So that comes to me. And I think that is for me a really good skill set in being successful is manifesting what you have and what you may not have, but go in the direction of instead of I wish I had, I already am and it will come your way. Embody that and, like, like you already are doing yeah. it or you already have it. Right. And then the result is that you have the choice to spend time where you want that. I have the choice. People will say, well, if you don't have to work, why are you working? Because I choose to, because I choose to give. 
I choose right. to continue. And I think people quit on money. It's like, oh, I made my money, so I'm good. Well, if you know how to do it, make more of it and give it to other people and share it with the world and help others. Exactly. I mean, that's really, in my opinion, one of the big reasons we're all here on this planet is to help and support each other, to give back, to be of service, to cheerlead one another. That's why we're here. Yeah, exactly. We go make our mark, right? Have an have, impact. That's why yeah, that's impact. Yes, exactly. If you have the knowledge or the money or the ability to help someone, why wouldn't you? It's a no-brainer. Yeah, but people quit on money. And I know lots of people who do. <laughs> They're like, I made my million. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I'm going, yeah. well, yeah, if you could make three million and you don't need the other two, then why not give it to someone? Exactly. 100%. I agree with you. Jen, what aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? I actually would like to ask you that question, <laughs> right? <laughs> because you've seen me and you know me, I think you could probably guess what I'm going to answer. But I think my passion for what I do, I think that's one of the biggest things for me is I have a lot of passion for what I do. If I And I tell people, I'm a big mouth. If I love you and like you, I'm a big mouth. I have a lot of passion for that. I think my energy is like that too. I bring a, a different type of energy into a room. And then I think the last thing for me is being a student of my craft. I'm a constant learner, life learner. You hear it all the time, but I'm constantly learning new ways that I can interject someone else's perspective in and then change it and genize it, right? Make it my perspective, listen to it, hear it, and then make it my perspective. And I think that's really important. And that goes back to that other question is don't let anybody else ever tell you that, oh, you don't know what it's like being out there. I'm a student of my craft. And I think that really has been the most helpful in my career so that people can't pull the wool over my eyes or I'll hire someone. But I most of the time I'll learn it first so that I know the value of it so that I'm not bamboozled by someone. I think for me, it is. It, I would have to echo the first thing of what you said is my passion and my love for what I do. This It's so hard to put into words the passion and the motivation because of that passion for my mission and my purpose. I think it's also my love for connecting people and seeing people connect and mm -hmm. seeing those relationships flourish, giving back. I, I would say that's it, I think is my relatability and being able to do for others and shifting into that and embodying that to realize that's part of why we're here. So I would say it's those three things for me. But first and foremost, it's my passion because I absolutely, yeah. with all of yeah. my heart and soul, love what I do. Yeah. And I think we all have to do that, right? I mean, I think that should be number one for everybody is I love what I do. I have passion yeah. for what I do. We're only here for a short time, so why wouldn't we want to embody that? You don't want to spend your life working at a job you absolutely hate. What's the point of that? That's a miserable yeah. existence. Yeah, it is. And it, and it's a, I call it circling the drain, right? You're circling the drain because you're just <laughs> that miserable. So stop circling the drain. Find your passion and go chase it. Yeah. <laughs> but then you've got the people who say, well, how do I find my passion? How do I do that? Look, I think the best way to find passion is to figure out what you don't like. That's the answer to it. And so many people are looking for, and this gets to the why question too, is what's your why? And a lot of people go, oh, don't ask that question again because I can't figure it out. 
It's what you don't want. So if you don't like children, then children is not your thing. If you don't like people who make $100,000 a year, then that's not your thing. If you don't like people who make a million a year, then that's not your thing. Find out what you don't like to find your passion and use the hedgehog theory or Ikigai or Aikigai, which is an old ancient Japanese way of finding your purpose in life. It's just identifying what you love to do, what you're good at, where you can make money at and what the world needs and do that. Figure that out and you'll find your passion very easily. And you'll find you have multiple passions, but it's isolating it down to what can I make money with? And maybe there'll be four or five of them, which is my case, right? Which is why I have multiple businesses because I can make money in a lot of different areas. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because you hear that so often. It's like, well, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my passion is. And spend the time, invest the time in figuring it out because we're only here for a finite time on this planet. So you might as well be happy while you're here. Spend the time and figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Jen, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Ick. <laughs> it means ick. Yeah, I think ick for empowerment. The reason why is, and I told you this before when we had our first conversation is, I believe, and especially because we're talking to women on this particular podcast, I believe that we're already empowered. And it drives me crazy when I see a woman saying, I empower women. This is what I do, I empower women. So basically you're saying is you're going out to the huddled masses of, oh, are you weak? Are you poor? Are you, oh, you poor thing. And oh, you don't have confidence. You don't have this and you don't have that. I want all of you to come work with me because I'm going to make you empowered. I think we have empowerment inside of us. I think for me, it's not people that, you know, that aren't empowered. I think they're enabled and then they become empowered. And that for me is the key difference. And I've already talked about that in the business part of it. So that's what it means for me is get out of my way and let me do my thing. And I'll figure out my thing myself if I have to do it, but I'm powerful already. I just need to develop the skill to be more powerful. Yeah. We have it all within us. Everybody has it all within us already. It's just a matter of honing, developing that and speaking it and sharing it with the world. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Ready. What is one of your favorite entrepreneurial books? The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. If you could teach the world one thing, Jen, what would it be? Be as good to yourself as you are to everybody else, including that business. What is your favorite self-care practice? Sleep. (laughs) (laughs) What is your personal motto? Tell me I can't. I dare you. (laughs) I challenge you. Do it. (laughs) What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? Remember the small things. If someone says it's my birthday, remember that. If someone said they love animals, then remember the small things because that's going to make someone feel really good. Make them feel that you listen to them. And when you think about it, that's all we really want is to be heard and seen. Absolutely. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What do you know now, Jen, in your entrepreneurial journey that you wish you knew when you were first starting out in your journey as an entrepreneur? Uh, Be myself. Everybody else is taken. I was chasing everybody else's dreams, everybody else's thoughts of what needed to happen, trying to act like everybody else. Just be myself. Everybody else is taken. And that's when that authenticity comes in. Love that. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? Be present, 100% present. Don't be distracted. Big lesson. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? 
I don't take myself too seriously. You see me joking here. You see me making funny faces. You see me saying ick to empowerment. <laughs> I don't take myself too seriously. And I think that's helped me be successful because then I have grace for the challenges that we have and what we do. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Well, it would have been Mother Teresa. I'm Catholic. And Mother Teresa, just to figure out how did she deepen her relationship with God? How did she do it? How did she get so deep that she was willing to give up everything? I've always found that interesting in the Bible where it says, give up everything and follow me. And I'm going, how did they do that? Because I want to be able to be in a place where I have that deep of a relationship with God and Jesus, right? And the Holy Spirit, that I have that relationship. I want to know how she did that and how she found the courage to do it. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? The same piece of advice I gave earlier, which is keep my money in flow. Because once you have your money in flow and you have that passive income, we save, save, and don't keep it moving forward for us, then you never have to save for a rainy day because there never is a rainy day. There's always money coming in. And I wish I would have learned that half a career ago. Lastly, Jen, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Yeah, it's actually a quote that my mom used to say to me, and it, it's out there in the world. I can't remember who the person is, but it goes like this. We flatter those we scarcely know. We please the fleeting guests, but we deal many a thoughtless blow to those we love the best. Wow. I've never heard that before. That is beautiful and powerful. Jen, Thank you so very much for taking the time and making the time to be here with me today. It has been an absolute pleasure, as it always is, speaking with you. You are a truly inspirational, incredible soul. I am so grateful to be connected to you. Oh, and you. I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community and to have had this time to sit down and share in your journey and share the beautiful light that you put out into the world through the work you do, your wisdom, your knowledge. You are truly an inspirational human being, Jen. Thank well, you. Well, thank you so much. It only came out because of the beautiful line of questioning that you had. So thank you for what you're doing for women. And I know that we'll continue to communicate over time as we have already, right? I've, I don't know how many people I've referred yes. to you. I just keep sending emails. <laughs> yes. So I just love it. I just love it. But thank you for your patience with me and our techie problems. And, and hopefully this will end up really nice. My pleasure, Jen. It has been an absolute honor. Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Jen Duplessis. She is a leadership advisor and mentor, a multi-number one international bestselling author, a podcast host, producer of her own TV show, and most recently, knighted as Lady Jen Duplessis. Thank you so much, Jen. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.